glass, ice, pour. Hey friends, just a quick update before we dive into this episode that this was a pre-recorded episode so we do not talk about uh, the murder of George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or uh, any of the wonderful rallies of uh, support for equality that happened uh, before we recorded this episode. So I uh, just wanted to put that out there also that we fully support black lives and that uh, us here at Whiskey and Rye are taking time to learn and figure out the best way and most appropriate way for us to respond. So enjoy this episode. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Hello friends and welcome to Whiskey and Rye. I am your host Ryan Charles Brown. Thank you so much for being with me again on another episode. Uh, We are rolling through these episodes where we actually get to bring guests, which is fantastic and I'm super excited to uh, interview my friend uh, tonight. Uh, I'm happy to introduce Michael Kinsman. Michael, uh, thank you for joining me on the show. It's great to be on. I tripped over your name because you have like the most distinguished, like regal royal name. I feel like I should be like Sir Michael Kinsman. <laughs> I have been knighted by Her Majesty the Queen. Yes. Yeah, I feel like you absolutely should should be at some point. I'm gonna go um, for it. <laughs> yeah. What, do you know like what's what's the origins of your name? Is it something like are you like a Viking or something? Like what? no, I I'm uh, well, I'm not entirely sure of the origins, but. As some might know, uh, the last name Kinsman uh, is is very biblical, you know, Uh, specifically when you're talking about like the book of Ruth, you know, Kinsman Redeemer, that type of thing. Um, I myself am a mix of uh, Scottish, English, uh, some Polish, some Jewish, you know, so... Yeah, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure where it comes from. I'm not but. sure where it comes from. Well, you wear it proudly, my friend, because it's Thank you. distinguished, and you, sir, are a distinguished gentleman. So I'm, <laughs> Thank I'm, you, and you as well. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Um, I put out uh, just the thing on Facebook, just you know, with my my own personal network, just uh, a, a poll looking for some guests, and you reached out, and you were like, "Hey, um, you know, if you ever have a want to have a guest on that you know knows a little bit about whiskey and some of this and." All these and I was distilling the whole time I was thinking to myself oh my god I hope it's Michael I hope he's Hi. I'm the guy you know because I was like I want to talk to this person but I hope it's mm-hmm. Michael so I'm so glad it's you dude I'm so glad that uh that you uh were like hey this is something that I know a lot about and uh this one so you know so you know that that being one of the things you are like into and that we're probably going to talk about but before we you know maybe leading into that um I would love just to get to know you a little bit you know uh, to round you out before we before we get into our favorite drinks. Mm, yes. Uh, so yeah, a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in the Seattle suburb of Everett, Washington, um, until I moved uh, down to uh, Pasadena here for Fuller. I uh, graduated in 2018 with my MDiv. Um, I also met my amazing rock star wife there, Brianna. Um, uh, who occasionally works with you. Um, I, I think that's really cool. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know each other through cyclical and, uh, and stuff. And so, um, yeah, so I met, met my wife there. Uh, I, and from then, uh, from there on, I, I went to become a pastor um, and, and now I'm doing some youth stuff uh, elsewhere as well. Uh, and I have a passion for, well, a lot of different things. Uh, I'm a pretty eclectic person when it comes to 
things that I really like nerd out about. Mm -hmm. So like anything Star Wars, super nerd, you know, uh, politics. I mean, I could tell you like what demographics to hit, like down to like the district level of what numbers you got to hit to win this, you know, 2020 election stuff, like nerdy, weird stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, uh, but really one of, one of my deepest loves, um, probably second only to, to ministry and the work I get to do there, uh, is revolves around food, uh, food and wine and whiskey and uh, things that for me represent uh, this, this notion, this sense of something that gets me to kind of stop what I'm doing and think about all of the different stories that go into either what we have on our plates, what we have in our glasses, um, everything that just that goes into that whole process because there are so many different stories and people and and years and time that go into, into making those things that we often just consume. Yeah. Um, and, and one of my passions is just, you know, to take a deeper look at those things, to appreciate those things, to appreciate the people uh, that make those things and to enjoy them as God intended, you know, uh, food and whiskey and wine, they're all supposed to be delicious, you know, and I'm really happy that they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Celebrated. No, I love what you said because you appreciate the story behind everything, right. You know, and, uh, story is something that's so important to this podcast. You know, uh, this story is based on this, uh, the stories of the thousands of, uh, riders that I've had, uh, doing both Lyft and Uber. Um, you know, I'm getting to tell some of their story through my own story and how that parallels. Um, and, and I love that, uh, that you also think about all of the care that goes into food because you're right you know the the food that makes it to our plate or the the drink that we are partaking in um it means so much and i think especially now uh in this time of of uh safer at home we're in a Mm -hmm. quarantine covid19 era um i think we now especially appreciate how things are are brought to us and how things are created you know so i think this is an especially important conversation to have right now and i love that you're really passionate about that that's really great yeah, and, and, you know, just to really quickly touch on that a little bit, uh, you know, the, this whole thing is kind of just kind of made everyone like stop for a little bit and just like look around them, pay attention to all these different things and kind of just, you know, take stock of the things that we care about um, and to notice the things that we, you know, kind of take for granted on a daily basis, like going outside, you know, seeing the mountains. I remember a couple of weeks, uh, my wife and I were, we're just driving around. We were, we were doing a, like a takeout food tour of LA, uh, for my birthday. Um, nice. and we were just driving around for a while. I was like, Oh my gosh, the mountains are so beautiful. And the air is so clear and all these different things that we just take for granted. Um, they're, they're, they are truly miraculous and amazing in their own ways, uh, even during normal times, and especially now. Um, and, you know, I'll just give a little shout out to all those different restaurants and workers who are there right now. It's, that industry is, is hurting right now. So uh, if you're listening to this uh, and you can, like, spend money or a little extra money on uh, going to a local restaurant, then please do that because there are literally their jobs on the line there. And with that comes families and a whole host of other things. So uh, shout out to all the workers who are working so hard, who are, you know, putting their lives on the line every day so that we can have food that is delicious and warm, um, and an experience during this really, really difficult time. 
Yeah, absolutely. Definitely want to give uh, those people some space and some much mm-hmm. uh, over uh, underdue, whatever you know. That's not yeah. the right word, but you yeah. know, in much uh, much needed credit uh, because right. yeah, those local restaurants. Um, and uh, you know, it's funny we we have a little coffee shop that we like to go to, um, and it's amazing. They have half the staff, and they're still doing the same amount of business. You know, mm-hmm. it's just literally like two. I think the most people I've ever seen in that place is three. Um, but they have literally one person behind the bar making drinks, one person taking the orders up front and then distributing the drinks. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, so, you know, visit those places, leave them a tip. Um, but still, still, you know, enjoy your local places right now. Cause that's really really important. It's really, you might be saving a job. You might be saving a job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You might be helping someone make rent. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, living in Los Angeles, which, you know, both you and I do, and you're from the Pacific right. Northwest, I'm from Michigan, mm-hmm. you know, you think about the people that are here that are creating, mm-hmm. you know, that job that you're saving right now uh, might be a movie that you go see five years from now. Like, you don't know, you know, because totally. that person might be here to write that script or to be in that film or to absolutely uh, to, to write it or whatever that might be. So, um, so yeah, that thinking about those things again, because we're going to get deep in thinking about the bigger mm-hmm. picture from things in the greater story um just be thinking about that i love that i appreciate that what a great way to kick things off um Mm -hmm. uh for this episode um but i would love to dive into uh, i'd love to dive into whiskey first i'd love to dive you know is this something that i really sounds good to me uh yeah i love i love whiskey um so for me um i'm 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 looking to to learn from you so don't be afraid to like (laughs) uh just go deep and and i'll ask you questions and kind of whatever but but just really there's uh I don't like to say nerd out because it has a negative connotation, but we're, we're making that a power yeah, thing here. Right? Absolutely. Yes. We're, we're nerd. We're out. nerd positive. Yes. We're nerd positive. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. Positive here. And uh, so, so let's get into whiskey. So, so teach us something. I like Irish whiskey. So just you like Irish whiskey. Yeah. I like Irish whiskey. Yeah. Um, I don't particularly know why. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, having, yeah. let's just start with that. Yeah, so I, I also love Irish whiskey, and one of the reasons why I really love Irish whiskey is that uh, more so than, say, uh, a scotch, most scotch whiskeys, or um, certainly stuff you'd find here in the States, it really it really can help uh, tell you the story of the place. Uh, their kind of philosophy, and they have many rules and regulations to, to kind of keep that philosophy of, of whiskey making alive is that they... Uh, a lot of the, so some of the barrels they used are, they're used often. And uh, if you, if, if you're listening to this, you don't really, you don't know much about whiskey or, you know, barrel aging or anything like that. Uh, The the barrel itself, it imparts a lot of the flavor you get out of a whiskey, Um, but it can, and often does mask some of the, uh, some of the notes from the actual uh, spirit itself. And so, uh, Irish whiskey, a, a lot of the, the distillers, they will um, use these often used oak barrels that their, their, uh, their compounds have already been leached out by other spirits and whatnot. And so what you're getting then is just uh, this, this spirit that has been kind of just put in this barrel to not really absorb, but to age slowly over time uh, so that some of the kind of harsher elements of it are, are smoothed out but you can still really taste the origin, the character of the spirit. And, 
and for me, again, it all comes back to story. And when I'm drinking something, when I'm eating something, I want to like be attentive to the story that comes with it. And so like, if I'm drinking an Irish whiskey and I, I can, I can taste the spirit, I can taste the, the barley that went in there, you know, I can, I can kind of imagine myself in Ireland, which I think is kind of the magic of, of whiskey and wine and spirits, um, is it can like almost transport you yeah. magically to the place where it is made, you know, you can just like, imagine yourself, you know, in this like green grassy field, um, where where these these uh, these malts are harvested, and then you can see yourself in the storehouses near the stills, you know, making this thing. Um, and you know, when you're when you're smelling a whiskey, when you're nosing it, it's it's it. And the more you do it do it over time, the more you can become attuned to. Okay, so I, I'm getting a little bit of, of of you know fruitiness, kind of some some sweetness there. Uh, you know, if you're a big into scotch, um, you know, distinction between uh, sherry cask and bourbon casks can, you know, you can, you can really start picking up on that and, and then kind of going down that train of thought to, oh, this kind of tastes a little raisiny, a little nutty, or it tastes, uh, you know, super, super oaky and woody and hefty and strong. Um, you know, it's, it's all about the story and uh, so I mean I, I'm all all with you uh, for uh, insofar as I, Irish whiskey stands. Uh, my recommendation for any uh, kind of newbies into Ir into the Irish whiskey world is uh, you know get a, a get a good solid bottle of, of Bushmills, um, yeah. and then after that work your way into the Redbreast stuff. Redbreast twelve, you know it's about that same price as a, a, a you know twelve year bottle of Scotch. And it will knock your socks off. It is insane. Uh, it, it it has all those like really wonderful aspects of of Irish whiskey that you know I just mentioned, uh, but also has a little bit of that sherry cask influence as well. Um, and so it really kind of elevates it, you know, just to the next level. Yeah. So, uh, so the, the time, I want to talk about the time. So the, yes. the spirit sits in these barrels for Bushmills, which I love that you, sh you call that Bushmills. That's my favorite. Mm. That's what I drink great. almost exclusively. Um, so Bushmills aged minimum three years. So it's sitting in these barrels mm. for three years. Um, mm. is it being checked on? Is it being rotated? Do they just leave it alone? Mm. Like, what is that? What is that process like? Yeah. So Every pro, almost every process that uh, takes place in those uh, barrel warehouses is different from for each distiller, um, wow. and so each one of them will do kind of the the legal minimums that they have to do to to meet the legal standards and call it you know an Irish whiskey. Um, but uh, you know it really the variance is kind of in in those stages and many of the others as well, is what gives you a different product. Uh, you know, say you're drinking a Bushmills, it's different than Jameson, it's different than uh, a Redbreast or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and those little tiny tweaks are so often what can elevate um, or really, you know, knock down a, a, a whiskey, in this case, an Irish whiskey. Um, but yes, they're, they're often checked on. Um, Depends on the, the, the climate and, and weather insofar as like rotation. I know in, uh, in Kentucky where the weather is, uh, you know, super hot summers when you're getting super hot summers, they, they have to rotate or else they just lose all of 
um, all of the, the good stuff to the angel share, which is, you know, just alcohol evaporating outside of the barrels. And for long, you have no, nothing left. You know, you just have a little bit of water and some, it's basically just brown water, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, but in like the cooler climates, like Ireland, Scotland, um, it's really, you know, the, the climate is a lot cooler. Um, some of those places, uh, you can like taste the environment as well. Like, uh, you know, depending on, you know, the proximity to the ocean and, and, you know, just what they're next to. Um, and so, yeah, it's, there's a lot to answer your question. There's a lot of different things that happens in those warehouses. Yeah, there's so many different things. I mean, like you were saying, proximity to the ocean, meaning how much, uh, you know, interaction they get with those elements, the sea salt mm-hmm. water, you know, um, rainy seasons. Right. Uh, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, weather that is relatively unpredictable, um, that kind of gives the joy to different batches, you know, and each batch Absolutely. is very nuanced, you know. Right. And that's why, I mean, a lot of... Uh, a lot of so when they you know uh, put the whiskey and the spirits into barrels they'll uh, take uh, those barrels then and they'll combine uh, often not always but often they'll combine those barrels so that they're getting a more um, uh, you know they're getting the same product over and over again they're getting a consistent product mm-hmm. um, but on rare occasions they'll do like single barrel offerings um, you see that again more often in Kentucky just because of you know with bourbons and stuff just because the the heat variance is is so much bigger um, and you get more differences in that single barrel product than say if you were in you know Ireland or Scotland but you know the, the weather is also you know such a huge factor because uh, heat will cause, you know, heat and the cold will cause expansion and contraction of those barrels and actually like leach out more flavors or less flavors from the barrel itself. And so, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's kind of like not as, not as, you know, impactful, but it's kind of like vintages and wine, um, and how, so every year is different. You deal with different struggles and challenges, all those things, um, but the weather really does affect what your what's in your glass. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think um, there's probably varying arguments to like the small batch trend versus yeah. these long, you know, you know, aged distilleries. Um, I'm sure you could say, you know, there's pros and cons to both. Um, I will say my. Um, my cousin, uh, my cousin, Ryan, he's also named Ryan. He's the one who has probably educated me the most in like whiskeys and bourbon. He collects, uh, a lot of good small batch bourbons. And so, you know, when I'm with him, um, I'll drink, uh, whistle pig is something that he has. I love whistle pig. That's a great bourbon that I have uh, that he has yes. that's one of my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll drink, we'll drink a lot of different things. He has a lot of small mm-hmm. batch stuff. Um, and man, it's so funny. Um, right when I launched whiskey and rye, um, I actually did, uh, I was at, I was at his house for Thanksgiving and I did, I think I sampled maybe seven different whiskeys, uh, excuse me, different bourbons that day, uh, some small batch mm-hmm. some whatever. And man, it was like, I was visiting seven different places right? in the country. Yeah. 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 So I cool. mean, it, that's the small batch, you know, distillers and, and, you know, options that they create uh, a more like artisanal approach uh, to this kind of large batch um, 
you know, philosophy of making spirits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there is a lot of, you know, it, it really depends on who's making it and what the process is. Cause you can do like a small batch bourbon that just tastes absolutely disgusting yeah. and then have like a yeah. large batch, like conglomerate, like Jim Beam come out with this, you know, this Booker's bourbon that is just so sought after. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they're making it in huge batches or, or whatever, but uh, yeah, this the small batch thing, it, it is a big deal um, just because it, it allows the people who make it more of a control over the process, you know, more of an experimental like approach is also able, they're also able to bring that to the table as well. And in the end, it, you know, it allows us to taste different expressions and experiences of whiskey. And that is always fine by me. <laughs> that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a quote that I remember from, uh, from the documentary Neat. Have you seen that, the, that documentary Neat about bourbon? Yeah, it's good. I think it's on, it's either on Hulu or Netflix. So you can, yeah. it's pretty good. But, take um, a look. One of the master distillers talks about, uh, and I'll paraphrase it, talk about how, you know, really the, the whatever kind of whiskey you're drinking, it's more about actually the person that you're drinking it with, you know, Absolutely. about that story that you're sharing with the person, because whiskey isn't a drink you just chug. You know, um, no. you're drinking, <laughs> you shouldn't be, yeah, no, that's yeah. not a idea. You're drinking your whiskey straight from a very fancy glass, which is super mm. cool. Um, I'm with five ice cubes out of this kind of glass. Um, that's also so, totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so that's, that's totally fine. It's more about, it's more about you and I sharing this beverage over time absolutely you know and as your mm -hmm. beverage interacts with the air and interacts with the temperature and interacts mm -hmm. with the glass it begins to taste differently and as my glass as the ice melts uh and as it gets a little bit more watered down and, and, and even the shapes of the ice cubes um and different things it makes it all just taste differently over time so even though i'm having the same drink mm -hmm. for about an hour or an hour and a half I'm having a different drink as I as absolutely later on into it. Isn't that just so beautiful? It is. Uh, it's it's a new experience every time, you know, yeah. depending on, you know, all, all of what you just mentioned, you know, who you're with, you know, all, all these different factors that go on, you know, the, the temperature in the room that you're drinking in, whether you've got ice in or not levels of, I mean, you could really go down a rabbit hole with, with this whole conversation. Um, but yeah, the, the, what I really, really love about whiskey and, for me, it's Scotch whiskey. My favorite, like, just there's such a like romantic element of like Scotch yes. um, that I really appreciate. Is that it? It's so like it can be. I'll say it can be such a relational, uh, bonding thing, right? It can be a thing that brings us together. I mean, I just remember like uh, nights in seminary, just like out on the porch drinking whiskey with friends, um, and like growing in our relationships to each other, and uh, that happens as just like you know scotch ages over time our relationships age over time and they evolve and they become new and develop different kinds of complexity and beauty and and bring us joy in in such beautiful wonderful ways um and just like with anything whether it's food or drink or, or spirits it's it's best when it's with other people right it's best when it's shared in community uh, because that's really what we're created for and uh, I mean really it's what I think these things are created for whether it's wine or whiskey or uh, you know pizza you know it's it's best when it's enjoyed together with people you love and you care about that's just that's that's just going to elevate 
the whole experience. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, well, I, I want to talk about wine, but because you brought mm-hmm. up scotch, uh, I want yeah. to, I also want to bring, so I don't, this may be a stupid question, but I don't think there are stupid questions. And here's why, because any question means that you're pursuing knowledge. If you're pursuing knowledge, I think that's a righteous thing. So mm-hmm. even though this might be a stupid question, I don't, oh, absolutely. because of what I just said, okay. I, I, I give all stupid questions to pass. Is the scotch, is, is that just a regional thing like uh, bourbon and whiskey, uh, the name scotch, or is there actually something different to the distillation process between uh, like an Irish whiskey and scotch? Yes and no. So yes in the sense that it had to be and grown in scotland you know the barley the malt everything has to be grown and distilled and aged in scotland only scotland for at least three years um yeah minimum of three years uh each you know some will do like call big tall column stills some uh, you know closer to uh hot stills um, so there's a large variance in the type of still used, um, the type of barrels used, uh, you know, for instance, Macallan only ever used to use sherry casks, uh, but mm. they actually started running out of, of casks, sherry casks that came from uh, this little region in, uh, in Spain called Jerez. Uh, and so they had to like switch it up a little bit. Um, but places like, you know, Glenlivet, uh, they don't do much in the term in terms of like sherry casks. It's almost exclusively bourbon casks, you know, that are second fill, um, that they, you know, they get shipped over from Kentucky and, and other spots in, in the U S. Uh, and so there, there is a large uh, amount of variance, but it has to be from Scotland. Um, and within Scotland, there are kind of uh, three or four main regions, I'll say. So you got the lowlands, uh, the highlands, the Speysides, and the islas. Uh, the lowlands, highlands, and uh, Speyside, they all kind of have very similar characteristics. That may be a little oversimplifying it, uh, but for the sake of this conversation, uh, they're very similar in kind of the, the way that they make and malt the barley and dry it and stuff. It's very similar. Uh, so you're not really going to get any smoky whiskeys out of those places. Okay. However, you move over to Isla um, and you get something like uh, the Ardbeg I'm drinking right now. And you just get a, a mouthful of big peat smoke. And that is kind of the distinguishing feature there um, is that they, they dry to, to dry their barley. They, uh, they make big old peat fires and that's basically just like a, a, an old kind of rotten fermented moss that they, you know, dig up in their bogs uh, and then they use it to dry uh, their barley. And it gives us this, gives it this like lovely smoky robust flavor um, and you get like a lot of different expressions of that too. So like the, the kind of the art bag that I'm drinking right now has kind of this uh, almost like this may sound a little strange, but burnt tire quality to it. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of like, it smells like just like lit a bunch of tires on fire, you know, um, and it's kind of the waftings of that. But then you have like, uh, the, like Lagavulin um, and, you know, kind of the, the notes I get personally from Lagavulin are kind of like, you know, beechwood, driftwood, like smoked mozzarella, you know, super savory, uh, but also kind of briny. Um, again, you know, it's, it's an island and you've got all those like sea influences and all that salt in the air and, and everything that goes into that. 
And so there is, there's, and I, I just, I love how much variance there is in these topics because yeah. it allows us to it kind of appreciate uh, all of these different things. I mean, there are, there are hundreds of, of distilleries in Scotland making totally different things that you can try. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of wineries in the world that you can experience over the course of your lifetime. And so it really is a new adventure you can taste every day. Um, and, and while whiskey doesn't age in bottle like wine does, uh, you know, there's so much, you know, influence and things that the master distillers do and account for in the barrel aging process as well that can change and, you know, alter for the, hopefully the, for the better uh, in that process as well. So it, it really is a wonderful thing. <laughs> Yeah, dude. I love it. I love your passion for it too, because, uh, you know, the, the thing that I think is cool is you appreciate that there are families behind this. There are people behind this. Absolutely. You know? Um, we live in a tech age, you know, uh, but a lot of the process with distilling, you got to do it with your hands and you got to do it with good old father. Time. You know, uh, a lot of that magic happens just over the course of waiting and waiting and waiting. So, uh, so that's, so that's really cool. And I, you know what, um, we're going to move on and talk about wine, but sometime we're going to put a pin in this. Sometimes mm -hmm. you and I, we're going to get drunk and we're going to talk about whiskey <laughs> or whiskey without an E. Cause I will, we'll, we'll talk about that. Right. But that's way too far down the rabbit hole. To, uh, <laughs> to, to give a little quote from my, my favorite movie of all time too, you know, it's, it's all about pressure and time Yeah, and exactly. you know, the way those things, uh, come together. Yep. Shawshank, shout out there. Okay. Okay. That's <laughs> yeah. Okay. Give me the quote because I'm not getting it. Yeah. So it's it's when uh yeah it's a little off topic but it's it's when uh, they uh, discover that Andy has uh, dug himself out of the prison mm. and uh, Red Morgan Freeman's character is talking about how Andy has you know been digging out his wall and you know dusting it all over their their courtyard slowly over the course of 20 plus years and he's talking about how Andy is a geologist and how they study pressure and time and how those different things influence each other and influence us as humans and uh, it's very similar to whiskey you know it's about that that pressure that time the all the different factors that go into it and we don't even notice it's taking place a lot of the time a lot of the time in, in some, and you don't really know the final result until you uncork that barrel for the first time, right. take that thing and you, you're like, well, let's see what happens. So mm -hmm. there's mystery in it that, that sort of, like, you know, it's very beautiful. So, uh, so let's talk wine now. Uh, Absolutely. One of my favorite beverages. If I, <laughs> um, if I could like pick to be reincarnated in something, it would be a wine sommelier. 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 Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I um, that you is just like call him psalms. Yeah, yeah. That's the ultimate job. I don't know why James Bond wasn't that, as opposed to like a Secret Service person, because to me that totally. job seems sexier and cooler than any job ever. So, uh, so setting that as our foundation. Um, I am a, a novice when it comes to wine. Obviously, I know my totally. difference between reds and whites and, and different things like that. But, um, but you know, walk us through uh, the, with the with, with the with the white gloves of someone <laughs> who has been um, well versed in something. This like, don't say the word again. Sommelier, you can just call them Psalms. You know, Psalm S O M. Do that because I'm going to say easy. The rest of yeah, that's totally fine. A whiskey. Which is way faster than I normally do. So we're in. Um, Sounds good. So, um, so, so walk us through because uh, you probably could be one. 
So, so walk us through. So, I mean, yeah, I, I've actually, so I, there's this, this uh, wine tasting place uh, across the street from where I live uh, down here in Pasadena called Monopole. They do blind tastings mm -hmm. on Friday night. I actually have my name on the wall because I've, I've guessed four out of four wines correctly. Uh, it I'll disclaimer, it took me like 20 plus tries to do that, but you know, it's, you know, it's fun. Um, but yeah, wine, wine is all about weather, soil, grapes, and people, you know, uh, it, very similar to kind of what we just talked about. It's, it's about the people, the stories, uh, they go into make it, making it their history often with wine. It's, it's family history too. Some of the most famous chateaus in France. Um, there's a, there's a huge, just deep rich history to some of those chateaus it's not just like snobby french people just going right. around making you know two thousand dollar bottles of wine um you know a lot of those places were like raided in world war ii had their like their whole estates like murdered by nazis like crazy stuff crazy yeah. stuff um so i mean just story-wise incredible um but it's also about you know the grapes it's about okay so this is merlot this is sangiovese this is cabernet these particular grapes need these cer certain conditions to thrive um pinot noir in particular they call it the heartbreak grape because it's so hard to grow mm. but when it is wonderfully cared for and it's in the right climate and uh the person is, is treating it in the best way possible it can it can make you like weep like there are a couple there's some wine experiences that i just openly like just wet you know um that's how i feel how passionately i feel about this this type of stuff um but it's also about um the soil as well so how how deep the roots go um how how much they struggle to get that water how much because uh, you're really uh you know in most grapes you're trying to get the smallest berries possible um with the right weather and whatnot so that they're the, the flavor is more more concentrated, more, more mm -hmm. robust, mm -hmm. also uh, can lead to a longer aging life, a longer shelf life, um, which is why some of the the wines from the Bordeaux region in France can you know go hundreds of years. It's because they they're so concentrated, they're so robust, they're so deep, they can just last and last and last in your cellar forever. Um, but it's also about the climate and the weather and whether or not uh, you got a really bad hail in July and your like half your crop was just torn up and you had to decide in your like blending process not to use any Merlot because that whole crop was destroyed even though it was your best like grape that year. Um, so it's, it's, it's also, also about like what God gives you. And yeah. so, um, and, and they call this uh, in, the, in the wine world, they call these, these kind of combined concepts, this, this concept of terroir, which brings you a, a place and a story um, that kind of is the accumulation of the climate, the soil, the grapes, and the people that, that make it what it is. Uh, and so like you can have these, uh, these wineries across the road in Burgundy tasting absolutely and completely differently. Um, you can have like one like Domaine de la Romani Conti sell for 10,000, this is not a joke, $10,000 a bottle minimum. And you can have others in Burgundy, you know, not too far away sell for, you know, 40, 50 bucks. Uh, there's such a, again, there's such a variance of the, the people, of the stories, of the weather, of the soil, 
and uh, you know the the terroir of the place really uh, tells that story, and it really is what makes wine interesting. Yeah, uh, and you could go. I mean, you could go so far with this. Some some people really really want that to be expressed, that story of place, and so they they've started doing what's called uh, biodynamic uh, wines, which is basically it's like the way I, I phrase it is like super organic farming mm-hmm. um, and with some of like, like interesting, like methods too. Like they go by like moon cycles and, and harvesting and um, like the way that they compost, it's crazy, but it's also, it also really gives you a sense of the place that you're drinking from, you know, yeah. so that you can like drink a, um, a Chateau Ponte Canet and be like, okay, this is like totally different than this other one that's right across the street uh, right. because, you know, their, their farming is totally different. Right. Um, yeah. And they're all, you know, those winemakers are trying to do besides make money, obviously that's a factor here. Right. Uh, let's not toss that aside. Um, they're trying to tell and sell a story mm-hmm. um, that comes with it. You talk to any of those, uh, those winemakers and, you know, you could talk to them about, oh yeah, we're selling this this many, you know, bottles for this price, and we got this many points by this magazine and wine. But they they'll stay on there for like maybe thirty seconds before they get back to the story of the place, the vintage, the year, the struggle, the hardships, the 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 joys, the triumphs uh, that go into making that what it is. Um, and for me, wine and winemaking is all about creation care. Yeah. Um, so it's taking that that thing um, that God gives us and it's caring for it, it's respecting it, and it's and for me, it's uh, sharing it with others as an expression of gratitude for what I've been blessed with, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 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 really a wonderful experience. And I'll say it, the some of the most peaceful moments of my life have been you know, in vineyards and fields and wineries where, you know, things just seem like they're in balance, where the world is at peace um, and where, you know, there's no sorrow or joy or sorrow, sorry, where there's no sorrow or struggle or suffering. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to think about the process, right? Like the uh, uh, vineyard would have to be a serene place, you know, would have to be a place where there is uh, not a lot of dramatic changes, you know, there's not a lot of really big shifts that happen. You're going to need consistency, you know? Um, Right. But I think, um, so I, I love a lot of the things that you were you were saying. And I think the thing that was sticking out to me is this idea of vintage, right? You know, that's a mm-hmm. lot of emphasis that's put on the wine um, is vintage. Um, and uh, so I want to talk a little bit about vintage, but then I'd also love to Absolutely. talk a little bit about the commoditization of wine, because oh, yes, I also think that you've touched a lot about um, how the winemakers and the, 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 those people, they don't really care so much about what their wine sells for so much as about how it tastes and for them to be actually be able to mm-hmm. tell people, no, this is actually why this wine tastes this way. This is why this year tastes like this, as opposed to this is why next right. year tastes like that. So maybe starting with vintage, talk about that. And then let's talk about like commoditization. Yeah. Yeah. So again, this, this kind of this, why we have vintages on wine is that, the weather can be so drastically different from year to year uh, all around the world, obviously. I mean, these are things we already know, but yeah. um, especially when it comes to wine, uh, 
rain in particular, the amount of rain you get in the springtime, summertime, right before harvest, after harvest, during harvest. I mean, you can have the per absolute perfect weather, make them like everything's looking like absolutely amazing for your vintage. And then you can have a, an absolute like downpour one week before harvest and your whole, your whole harvest is crap. You know, it's turned like the wine of the year into a crap vintage of, you know, $5 wine or whatever, uh, because it's like, it's like plumped up to the berries so much that it's so diluted, like you can hardly, you know, tell that it's wine. Um, that in part in Burgundy in particular in France, that's often a problem because, uh, of the, just like the, their fall, their autumn season down, uh, over there is, uh, can be very rainy. Um, but you know, their Pinot Noir is the best in the world, um, like spectacular, um, as is their Chardonnay. Um, but if you get rain at the wrong time, man, you are so screwed. Just like if you get like, like I mentioned before, hail. Hail is another huge thing, um, which happens often, you know, during uh, French summers, during, you know, I mean, a lot of places really. And you, you know, your crop, half your crop, a third of your crop, your whole crop wow. completely destroyed. You can't sell a vintage. Yeah. Um, you are at the mercy of God, <laughs> like really, you know, as to, as to, you know, what you can put out there. Um, even the best winemakers can't make up for the worst vintage. You know, you can, um, you can buy, you know, a Chateau Latour, uh, which usually sells for around 800 to $1,000 a bottle, you know, that can fall by over half price, depending, you know, if it's a bad vintage. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the weather, I mean, it, it's such a huge part of this, if not the absolute biggest part of, you know, winemaking in general is because you have to be able to harness what nature gives you that year and elevate it to, to help it become the most of what it can be. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of the, the struggle that winemakers face, but it's also one of the really like exciting things that they do too. Um, yep. It's not, you know, all the winemakers I've talked to, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're like genuinely afraid of the weather, um, but they're also like really excited once they've been able to weather the storms of a vintage and make something truly, truly spectacular. Yeah, I hear um, that's thank you for explaining that was so perfect. Mm -hmm. I hear right now that 2015 is a good vintage. Um any insight as to why that is? Just particularly Depends on where you're talking about. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be, I mean, each, the weather is different in every place right. that wine is made. Yeah. So like, for instance, uh, let me see if I can pull this up. Um, so like 2015, um, phenomenal year in Bordeaux, eh, kind of so-so in Burgundy, really great in Napa. Um, and, and so like there's such, you know, there's a big time variance everywhere, um, yeah. you know, Italy is going to have totally different weather than France one year is going to have totally different weather mm -hmm. than, uh, than Napa is every year. But I'll also, also kind of dive into this a little bit as well, because you brought up th this particular aspect of vintage. So we kind of, in the wine world, they split up uh, into kind of two main categories uh, by place. And that is what is known as old world versus new world wine regions. And so old world is specifically almost totally like Europe, European wine. So you got your France, your Italy, uh, Spain, uh, you know, that kind of general area is known as the old world. And usually 
uh, and there's again some some differences there, um, but there is kind of this this rustic um, nature to those wines that you don't find in a lot of New World wines, um, you, and of and of course the rules are also different there. So like Old World wines, you're only allowed to use so much equipment, whereas New World wines is a lot more freedom to, to do whatever you want. Um, in certain regions, you can only grow certain types of grapes, like Burgundy in France. You can only grow Chardonnay, Pinot Noir. That's pretty much it. And then, uh, you know, towards some of those surrounding areas, you can grow grapes like Gamay and, you know, others. But um, there's a lot of stringent rules, whereas in, you know, New World wines, you know, it's, if it, if you can play in it and it tastes good, you can do it. Okay. Uh, so, which is the reason why you have like, you know, 50 different varieties grown in Washington two in Burgundy and like, you know, and all this different, all these different things coming over in California. Uh, and even like within a particular state like California, you have regions that are so incredibly different. You've got the Napa's, which are known for the, their robust, strong Cabernets. And you've got Santa Barbara, which is known for its really light, delicate, cold weather Pinot Noir. Uh, and you got Sonoma, which can often at times be known for their like super like sunny, oaky Chardonnays. And so there is like these different, like each and every climate contributes towards making the thing what it is. Uh, and in the new world, there's a lot of experimentation, which can be really exciting, um, but also really kind of depressing um, in, in lots of different ways. Uh, but in the old world, you, you typically know what you're going to get. Um, it's probably going to be delicious. You know, if you're, you know, buying from a reputable winery or chateau or, or villa. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just so much there. So much, you know, information to sort through as well. I won't, you know, <laughs> get you bogged down in all of it. Uh, but this, this is like, this is why I love like studying all this stuff about wine is, there's always something that you can learn every like day, every, you know, different bottle that you drink. Like, oh, okay, so this is a cool climate Chardonnay. And that one's a, you know, warm climate Chardonnay. And they're grown 200 miles away from each other, but they're, you know, totally different things. And one is terrible and one is amazing. Or, you know, they're both kind of crappy or whatever your experience yeah. of them is. Uh, but yeah, that, you know, if you're, if you're taking care of the wine and if there's balance in the wine, um, then, you know, you're probably going to have a good time drinking the wine. That's exactly it. Right. You're going to, you're going to enjoy it no matter, no matter what happens. And what we're talking about is just like, you know, appreciation. Right. Yeah. And so like when you can like come to like appreciate those things and appreciate all that process, then, I mean, you know, it, it makes it a lot easier not to be a snob. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, you don't have to, be, you can know a lot about wine and not be snooty. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, you can know a lot about wine and help other people enjoy and know more about wine without being, you know, a snob or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and that's like the, that's the ground I try to like explore there. Cause I, you know, I can't afford, you know, some of these top line wines, Right. Uh, but you know, I can afford a 20, $30 bottle of, of uh William Selium uh Pinot Noir from the Central Coast that is bonkers delicious. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say so um 
So what would you, like, what advice would you give to someone? Cause you know, you walk up to that wine section, it's a little mm-hmm. intimidating, right? So um, we've been focusing more on red. So let's say red. So what advice would you give to yeah. someone uh, who's walking up that wine section? They're like, Oh man, I don't know. Like, what would you look for? I buy my wine based yeah. on the packaging. So I, <laughs> I go, I'm like, okay, I like sure. Pinot Noir. Not uncommon. And then I find the dopest Pinot Noir packaging and I'm like, there you go. That one. Uh, so that's yeah. how I buy my wine. So I'd, yeah, So I'd say you kind of, you, if you, if you like really want to like, you know, get what you want you kind of have to know kind of some basic principles. Um, I would very strongly recommend not going off of labeling or packaging, but you know, to each their own. So, you know, I'm not going to like, you know, crap talk you if if you're doing that. Um, Cause I know people who do that and perfectly happy. Um, but yeah, so you have to, you kind of, so I would say, so know your palate first and foremost, know if you like oak, know if you like uh, heftier reds or leaner reds, um, know if you like fruitier wines or more vegetal wines. Um, you know, if, if you like, a, like take notice if you like a particular region um, in particular and just kind of like dive into that too, you know, um, it's okay to like not enjoy the wine you're drinking too. It's okay to be like, yeah, this is really awful. Um, I uh, either need to do more research into this or and like no better for next time or this was just a crappy wine <laughs> and yeah. just like write it off. You know, I've, I've had a lot of terrible wine. Um, but yeah, so, so know those principles, know, like, I mean, it's really helpful to know like new world versus old world distinctions, cool, wet, cool climate versus warm climate wines, because the warm climate wines, your, your sugar content is going to be elevated as will your alcohol content. Whereas cool climate wines, your acidity is going to be bumped up um, and your sugar levels are going to be probably decreased a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, so know, so know some basic principles, you know, it really doesn't take that long to, to learn. Um, and you know, all these places they are going to have someone there as well, who just would love to talk your ear off about wine for like five to 10 minutes and like help you to, to get to know what you will love or enjoy. Uh, even at like a total wine, you could like, you could talk to someone there and they're going to tell you, well, this and this, and then mm-hmm. you're probably going to like this. Um, but, or you could like expand your palate and try this like Australian Shiraz Cabernet blend. That's, you know, awesome and jammy and peppery and got this like eucalyptus-y type of thing going on. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's experiment. Um, yeah. Don't be afraid to try something that you haven't tried before. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause they're, there are a lot of things you could be missing out on uh, uh, if you don't try anything new. Um, and some of those things are going to taste terrible and some are going to taste amazing. Uh, and just, you know, just take notice of what you like, what you don't like. Take notice if there's like a type of grape that you don't like, but it's like a warm climate thing. You could try a cool climate, you know, version of it. Um, uh, a great, uh, for instance, would be just uh, Riesling. Uh, Riesling there's such a spectrum of sweetness and acidity that you can choose from. Uh, like my mom loves like super sweet Rieslings, like that just like you taste and like you're drinking dessert. Yeah, like a um, And it's like off and it's gross and it's nasty. But there are some like super sweet Rieslings that are just amazing. And there's some like incredibly bone dry Rieslings that will also knock your socks off. Yeah. Um, and so experiment, try new things. Don't be afraid to not like a wine and know a few principles. Yeah, I love that. 
what's your what's your favorite wine like what's your go-to oh man um that's that's hard because uh i've had i'd say for me it's more like uh i've had certain like experiences of wine because i'll I'll try anything at random different points depending on really what i'm eating so i try to pair whatever yeah that's big yeah yeah, yeah. Um, cause that really is going to affect your experience of a wine and the food as well. All right. That was a bad uh, question. So don't forget. I asked that question. I'm going to ask yeah. you. I'll say though, it's been your favorite experience with wine. Yes. Well, that's, that's hard. I'll, I'll give you two real quickly. Um, I'll give you the, the most hard questions. Let's give you easy questions. I know. I know. <laughs> I'll give you, I, I know what I'll answer. Yeah. Um, I'll give you the most recent one first. Um, uh, say, so it was pretty, it was fairly recently. Um, uh, I was at um, this kind of fuller type of event. It was with some people that were there, but it wasn't sp- like a specifically fuller event. Um, and we were at this like beautiful, beautiful house. And there's a bunch of artists and, and uh, musicians and creative people who were talking about brokenness mm-hmm. um, and how uh, specifically this, this, this Japanese art of kintsugi and where you kind of like repair this, this bowl, this dish together. Um, and, and just the, the beautiful process that make, you know, that, it, that is involved in, in making that or, or really remaking that. Um, but afterwards, um, this, this, this guy who's also a big, big wine, big, uh, wine enthusiast who is the owner of the house. Uh, we got to talking about wine. Um, we get to talking about our different experiences and he breaks out this just, I mean, absolutely killer bottle. It was in 1982 Chateau Lynch It may have been the best thing I've tasted in my entire life. Um, it, it almost brought, it may have brought me to tears. I don't remember if it, if it quite did that, but it was and to give a little background, 1982 in Bordeaux, was maybe the best vintage in the last 150 years um and so like this this bottle is absolutely exquisite um one of the top estates there in Bordeaux as well and man it was like leathery and um it had some age on it and so it had this like really delicate like these really delicate fruit notes um, and this, like this lingering finish on your palate just lasted minutes and minutes and minutes. You taste this wine like 10 minutes later thinking, how am I, like, what's happening? Like I can still taste this wine. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was pretty incredible. Um, and, and this other, I'd say this was like the bigger experience for me though, uh, was, uh, on, after I graduated from Fuller, uh, my wife and I, we went out to a really uh, like a, a celebration dinner at this really fancy hotel restaurant uh, in, in Pasadena. Um, shout out to the Langham and to the Royce, amazing. Um, and so we had like, and I'd say like saved up like a lot of money for this over the course of like a few years. And and so we splurged on this. Celebrate, yeah. Um, yeah, and so I got like, you know, steak topped with like foie gras and like all this other, you know, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> Um, but it was like so celebratory and wonderful. But I also brought this like little half bottle of 07 Chateau Latour um that I had found uh for a deal on a random wine website. And man, like that pairing with the, the with the filet mignon I had 
and like with my wife just you know just bonkers beautiful um you know having just this great date night dinner and man that wine was it was absolutely beautiful it was floral and kind of like lingering in this like really romantic type of way it's really beautiful beautiful delicate way um but also super like almost like foresty like like if you're like digging up like a bunch of like forest floor like you get in that those type of like mossy like smells that are like in but in like a really really wonderful way um and that i mean that whole experience was i mean that was maybe the best meal of my of my life it was oh i mean i i think of that sometimes and i just if i like want to be happy and yeah. you know, think of the company and the food and the wine and just the whole experience uh, and celebrating being done with a master's degree and and you know celebrating that life achievement and so yeah, yeah. it was pretty special. That's beautiful, man. I love that. Thank you for sharing that memory with us. Of course, uh, that's, that's really beautiful. Um, I, uh, I I want to talk about um, your ability to correlate life experiences with these wonderful things that we all partake in because you have such a beautiful way of thinking about whiskey and wine and food um, as something more than just nourishment or something that you're just having in the moment. This is something Absolutely. that you're carrying with you forever. Um, so you, you just talked about your two you know, favorite wines that you've ever tasted, but in that, even more so than the wines you described, you described what was happening around you. Um, So, so talk about that part of you a little bit, because I think that's really, that's really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is nourishment, but it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's a multifaceted type of nourishment. You're not just like, it's, it's different from consumption, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, which is the American way, you know, we consume and we consume and, you know, we, we kind of try and experience all these different, you know, things, but we really, I think in my perspective, like we really get nourished and, and well-fed when we uh, appreciate the thing itself and the things that are happening around us, the experiences we're having around us. And uh, and for me, that's part of like, just being like a well-rounded human person um but it's also like just part of of who i am and, and what i love like the environments i love to create uh brianna my wife we have been talking about lately more about hospitality and why that's so important to us and you know for me i, I was telling her that you know when, when we're being hospitable when we're uh, accepting someone into our home or we're creating an environment of hospitality I, I, you know, I told her, you know, when someone comes into our home, they should always have great food, great wine, and have absolutely no doubts that they are loved. Mm. And, and like, not in a like cheap way, but like they can feel it in their, like their bones and their marrow that they like belong here and that they're cared for here. Um, And food and wine and whiskey and all these things are are, uh, a part of, of community and hospitality for me. Um, and I think that's, you know, part of the reason why um, it's so easy for me to like connect those things with story and with my own story and with kind of this communal story uh, is that they are things that happen in community. I mean, we often forget that. We often forget that each harvest 
uh, involves like 40, 50 different workers from different backgrounds. Um, we often forget that, uh, you know, the immigrants who, uh, who pick our food often, uh, you know, they're not getting paid much, you know, that should, we should care about that, you know, we should care about the stories that are behind the wine, the whiskey, the food, the, the you know, the lettuce, the tomatoes, the, the grapes uh, that we uh, are nourished by. Um, and ultimately, it's not just food that we know that nourishes us, but it's community, it's each other, it's, uh, it's experiences we share, and it's the love that we give and receive uh, that really nourishes both body and soul, heart and mind, in, the, in both the short term and the long term. Yeah. And I think when you're able to connect those things together, uh, then you're able to have a more holistic experience of what, you know, God has intended for humanity, right? Yeah. Uh, that we would, you know, share these things, that we would like live abundantly, you know, not always in abundant wealth, but in abundant experiences with each other, in abundant love, in abundant kindness, in, you know, in abundant generosity and hospitality. And if I can like trot out this like $100 bottle of wine and talk about it for 10 minutes so that I can like love people better, then I'm going to do it because you know, I value those things. Um, and I value people. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I, uh, I, I'm in the same way. I mean, part of what, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, Fuller, uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. That's where I went to school. It's where you went to school. Mm -hmm. Um, we're also connected through a church planting organization here in uh, LA called Cyclical. So part of what I do is build community. Uh, and that's what I mm -hmm. did even before I was doing stuff with Cyclical Whiskey and Rye was building community. It was building community for, uh, for, for men and women who are just looking to be better in relationships and guys who are looking to answer questions about fatherhood and all those types of things. Things. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I mean, I'm all about building community. And so um, I love that, that you've included that part of this. And so I, I wonder, did you, did you, um, was it kind of in seminary that you started to make sense of how your faith could be intertwined in this? Or was that something you were thinking about before seminary? Or when was it that you really started to you know, mesh these two parts of who you are, this idea of, because a lot of things you're talking about, radical generosity, yeah. hospitality, those are very, those are like kind of what I consider like the, the best yeah. parts of the gospel and in, in mm -hmm. the Bible and stuff. So, yeah. so how yeah. did you kind of start to mesh those two things together and create something really beautiful, I think? Yeah, I'd say, yeah. So certainly uh, it became more fleshed out uh, at Fuller. Um, and, you know, as I started dating my wife and getting to know her, um, I would just love to like make food for her and, and share a glass of wine with her. And so that experience was one of the things that really brought us together. All but, single guys, all single guys listen to this. Take note. Seriously. I made pasta for her, like hand rolled pasta for her on our like third date and we're like yeah let's do this so <laughs> let's but, like let's beat a relationship um like, so you can make and cheese and hot dogs and your girl would be impressed as long as you make yeah. it with love and exactly say, like, I do it with love, love. listen like you know incorporate things she likes you know or you know or they like you then you're you're gonna be successful it's gonna be great yeah. um i just yeah love yeah that's a, that's, I love to give help to guys who are struggling. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but really, you know, with a, with a like theological relational connection, 
Um, they're, you know, being at Fuller, you know, one of the big focuses is teaching us um, to think theologically, right? Mm -hmm. And so to be able to think theologically about every aspect and facet of life and how that kind of relates to God and community. And this, you know, was one of my passions. This was, you know, food was something I grew up with. I grew up making dinner with my mom in the kitchen, bonding. And that's like one of the main ways I bonded with my mom through like, you know, making dinners and like getting in her way and her yelling at me to get out of my, you know, get out of my way <laughs> and like having fun with that. Um, and like learning for myself, like making food for myself, like, oh, that tastes terrible. You know, that tastes good. Um, and, you know, the more, the more that I like learned how to cook, um, the more I learned uh, how like I can improve like someone's day with a meal, uh, you know, the more I kind of leaned into it. And, you know, now like most of my Instagram posts are all about food and wine uh, because, yeah. you know, those are not, I mean, they're, you know, it's Instagram, so it's just a picture or whatever, but again, it can tell a story. It can tell a story of, you know, this is what I'm working on during quarantine and lockdown, you know, it's my pizza recipe. Um, and, you know, that one time a couple weeks ago when I like really nailed it, I was like really happy with it after like horrible failed experiences. Uh, and so again, it all comes back to story. It all comes back to uh, the people you're sharing it with. Um, and just noticing that, just noticing what brings people joy, what brings you joy, what brings you life. Um, I mean, I, I really like leaned into this because I was stressed out about school. <laughs> like, cause I like, it was the way I was able to like work out my stress in a healthy way was to cook in seminary, you know? Um, and, and so that whole process of learning and failing and doing it again and, and occasionally getting it right. I mean, that really helped me with a lot of like seminary stress and um, some other like life traumas as well. Yeah, uh, I think it's part of the reason why like you see this trend uh, during quarantine of all these like people like leaning into cooking yeah. is because like a lot of us are dealing with trauma right now yeah. in so many different ways, whether, we, you know, we've lost our jobs or, uh, or uh, we're just lonely and we're at home by ourselves or we're just, we miss the outside world. We miss community. Um, cooking can provide an, like a healthy coping mechanism for people to like get their stress out. Um, you know, beating on some like dough or stuff like that, you know, um, it can be really healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it's really beautiful in this time to see people sharing things, you know, um, the, the church that we're both a part of, Northland Village, they they share a starter. So 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 many people have started this right. dough, you know what I mean? So they've been sharing this thing. So all these people have these loaves of bread that have all been shared. You know, it's something that's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think for me, I discovered cooking uh, later in life. And um, for me, cooking, um, there's a, there's someone that I really like, there's a, a hip hop artist, Propaganda, you know, Propaganda, that spoken word hip hop yeah. artist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love him. I love his work. Um, and he, uh, on social media a couple years ago, said that a mentor of him encouraged him to pick up a hobby that he could suck at, uh, mm -hmm. something he could learn. And for him, that was making cocktails. 
So he started sure. to learn how to be a mixologist and making cocktails. But for me, it was cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, cooking was a hobby that I can pick up that it's fine if you suck at it at first. Like you don't have to be great. It's a learned skill that over time you find yourself experimenting. And I'm at the point now where I will be in my kitchen and I'll experiment. I, you know, just uh, two, a couple of weeks ago, you know, you're talking about being in quarantine and just like, I'm stir crazy. I'm eating the same things. Um, uh, we were low on groceries, you know, but I had some sweet potatoes and I had some corn tortillas and I had eggs. Um, and so I made like some, some street tacos, you know, kind of like, uh, uh, South by Southwest inspired street tacos. Oh, I had some mushrooms too. And, and, you know, so just like things that were going to go bad, uh, just, you know, threw them all in this kettle or not a kettle, like a little little pan, do it up real quick. Boom. There you go. It was so fun. And you know what? I killed an hour. I killed an hour yeah. while I was doing it. It was great. And uh, I bet and, you were pretty uh, joyful in the middle of it too, right? I jumped on Facebook yeah. Live too, you know, because I just, it was one of those things I was like, you know what? I just, I miss being around people. I miss mm-hmm. having this whatever. And so I just jumped on Facebook Live. And, and in that time, I ended up connecting with people that I hadn't seen since I graduated from high school with, you know? So again, yeah. this whole idea coming full circle that we've been talking about this whole time, like when you just step into this idea of cooking a meal um, Mm -hmm. and and you think about not just what that meal is going to provide to you, but everything that goes into it. And and even just thinking about, you know, sharing recipes and sharing things that you want to help uh, people get ideas for cooking. It's just so beautiful. That whole thing, it's all, it's all wrapped up. And in community, it can be something that's really, it's really beautiful. Yep. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, man. Um, so what, uh, what are some of your favorite things to cook? Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna like sit down and just start to go, what, what are oh, some man. things? I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, asking, I mean, that's, that's such a difficult question. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you like the, my like quarantine cooks. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you my like quarantine cooks that I've really been focusing yeah. on lately. Yeah. What are some good quarantine cooks? That's a good yeah. one. So probably the easiest one actually to do that I've been focusing on lately is uh, focaccia bread. Ah. Um, yeah. So there's uh, this like uh, Ligurian focaccia bread that I made um, inspired by the show Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Um, little plug there. You should watch it if you got Netflix. Um, it's awesome. Nice. Uh, but it's this like beautiful, like olive oil, like bread. Um, if you make it, you know, in the, the like a traditional Ligurian way uh, that they make it over in the region of Italy, it's also got this like really lovely salty brine to it. Um, and those flavors, like the crunchy crispiness of the bread, the saltiness uh, that, you know, the bread soaks up all that wine. Um, and the secret though is you just you got to use really really great olive oil mm. and man you can just like eat that straight up a little bit of of olive oil maybe a little salt balsamic vinegar you know that stuff going on maybe a little parmesan cheese that's also real good um i mean man that's it's like super easy but it's also insanely insanely delicious um yeah. i mean i just i just remember like when i when i like took a bite of it i i was just like I, I just shouted. I just shouted because I like I knew I nailed it. And that like uh, you know, after you know a couple field attempts, I knew I nailed it. And you know, just oh man, it was so good. Um, and the other thing, uh, the other real kind of big thing I've been focusing on um, was or is uh, pizza, um, kind of homemade pizza. 
Um, I'll give a, a little shout out as well to uh, Nancy Silverton, who is the pizza queen, the pizza and bread queen of Los Angeles. All you right. can like taste your food o- over at uh, Austria Moza, Kispaka, and Pizzeria Moza um, over in uh, it's like Michelin like, star restaurants, right? Oh, it's it's yeah, that's, that one's a one Michelin star restaurant, but it's not like crazy expensive, which is yeah. you know solid. Yeah. Um, all her food's delicious, but her pizza recipe is absolutely crazy and my my wife got me her cookbook for my birthday and I, I i like i made like her recipe and i was like this is one of the most amazing things that i've ever eaten um and i mean i i like i was super tentative to every little detail trying to just like nail this as much as i could and man it was it was pretty insane um and you know, if you have a pizza stone now, you can you can make pretty legit pizza in your own oven uh, if you you know have the right method and technique. And so, I mean, I mean, the crust was like really crisp and crunchy, and uh, you know, the cheese was beautifully melted, and uh, the flavor combos, man, that was good. Um, I'll say that. Uh, and then uh, one other thing that I've been kind of working with as well has been Southwest flavors. Um, one of one of the things I like to do is like take the seasonal ingredients um, that are you know fresh and available, uh, and kind of just like go from there. And so I made like these uh, kind of Sonoran uh, style burritos last Friday um, with this uh, pas- roasted pasilla tomatillo uh, pineapple salsa that I also made. Um, you know, with this like really nicely roasted chicken as well um and then kind of like took it into it so i like grilled up the tortillas you know stirred all the ingredients you know and then i like uh pressed it on our sandwich press and Mm -hmm. dude it was bomb it was great um and a lot a lot of these things like people what people don't often understand about cooking is that 95 to 99 percent of people can totally do this this is totally you know, you can accomplish this, even if you have very limited, like knowledge of cooking, mm-hmm. you just have, again, you just have to know a couple principles, a couple, you know, things about food, and you can really like make it your own and make it taste really amazing. Uh, and that's the fun of cooking, right? Uh, that's the, the joy of cooking, uh, as Julia Child would say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's really great. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly it. You know, you just kind of know a few basic principles and a few mm-hmm. things, but you know, just like anything in life that you're trying to master or you're trying mm-hmm. to become good at, you know, that's how you start, right? That's how you start anything. You learn a few basic things, you try, and then you, you know, you just keep going and you make mistakes and you just don't give up. You just keep going. Right. So Absolutely. that's why I like cooking. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I like it now. And you know, there's mm-hmm. something, you know, great about, you know, just being able to plate the food, you sit down, you provide it for your family. Uh, my wife and I, we have a son, so he eats a lot of the same foods that we eat, you know, just to see him eat stuff, mm-hmm. and try new things, man, it's super great. It's, uh, it's really, it's really a beautiful thing. So it's great. It's wonderful that like the things that nourish us, uh, can like, like it's just an amazing thing that we get to like taste food and that food has like flavor and like when you combine one flavor with another flavor create a totally different flavor that's just like awesome yeah you know i don't think we like look, like so often we look past that that is just a cool thing we get to do as human beings 
yeah. we get to create in that way. Let's talk about marriage a little bit. Yeah. Let's talk about marriage uh, because you and I uh, are, I'm a little bit older than you, probably I'm 36, so I'm a little bit older 27. than you. A lot older than you. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but still, you know, we grew up uh, Christian. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, and I grew up going to church and, uh, you know, we went to seminary, we did all those things. So we, you know, we have, uh, similar growing up, you know, I've gone through a period of deconstruction where I've, you know, my faith has changed over the years. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. gone through something very similar. Um, but, you know, now we're married and we have kids, you know, mm-hmm. I have a kid and you're, you know, married and you're leading your family in certain ways and things like that. So, you know, here we are in just like a weird place where we're trying to figure out like what that like and so um i don't know man i would just love to talk with you about like what your you know the last episode uh, a couple episodes ago i did a uh, a little segment on you know partnership during quarantine and what mm-hmm. it's like to sort of be married and, and kind of do the day-to-day during this time so i would love just to hear you know how how you all are doing and uh you know it sounds like brianna has the benefit of your delicious cooking and, <laughs> you know honestly like just I got lost in your eyes when you were talking to me about whiskey. So I'm sure you <laughs> have great conversation. She just can enjoy getting lost in your eyes, listening to your you know, stories, but, but you know what, you know what, other than those things, you know, what's day to day like for, for you all as a 20 something married couple stuck together for these yeah. few times, you know, just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's certainly a full life, um, that, which is, actually kind of the, the common thread that I, I really love most about marriage. It's, you know, I, I come, go, coming into marriage, you know, uh, we were married in 2017, a couple of years ago, you know, I didn't have really any notions of like easy, like life as a married couple. Yeah. Um, you know, we like pretty, from pretty early on, we're like, yeah, we're going to conflict. And um, when we do, we're going to like love each other in the middle of that and make sure we're doing conflict well and stuff like that. Uh, but really like marriage for me, it just helps me live a fuller life, you know, that, you know, notices more like people and community and uh, each other and really creates a space for me to like really get to know this other person and uh, like r- really lean into what it means to, to to be a couple, to be together, especially during quarantine. Because I mean, every day is incredibly hard already in quarantine. But this year, you know, for me has been especially awful. Um, I'll just say that it's been really, inc- it's been one of the worst, or I'll say most difficult years in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, just just a lot of you know hard stuff um, ha- has happened. And, uh, you know, that stuff touches her as well. Um, and stuff that is difficult for her, you know, it, it involves me and to have to, to process that together to, you know, to, you know, just sometimes be weeping in each other's arms. Um, it really cuts through all the bullshit, you know, um, of, of life and all the like external exterior things that we like to, to pretend is, is happening. Um, especially in quarantine because, you know, our tolerance level for the world right now is so like limited, Yeah. Um, you know, what we can like stand. And so we get our most raw, honest selves out and that makes life really hard. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and sometimes I need to listen better. And 
you know, and vice versa and all these things, you know, it's, it's hard to like spend a whole day, like whole day together. Uh, but really, I mean, it's really been beautiful, I think, uh, to get to experience this with her, uh, because we both, we, we know that we express that we express that like, this is hard, uh, but really like, I wouldn't be doing, rather be doing this with anybody else, you know? And I mean, I, I find myself constantly, constantly confounded and impressed and in awe of just the person that she is every day, um, just dealing with all this garbage that's happening, you know, in the world right now. Um, and, and, you know, just the way that she's cared for me during this has been, I'll just say she's just phenomenal human. Um, but you know, and it's, you know, you hope that like things like this bring us closer together, but you know, people don't often highlight how difficult and how much crap you have to wade through to like actually become closer together. Right. It's not this like, Oh yeah, we're just going to rally around each other and it's going to be kumbaya after like, you know, shit hits the fan. You know, it's, it's really, it's an expression of like life sucks right now on so many different fronts for us and for our friends and for a lot of our family members and, you know, all, you know, but the one thing we can do is love each other in the middle of that. And I think that really touches, um, it really reminds me of like the early Christian community. It's like, they, they're going through a lot of crap and a lot of pain and struggle and suffering. And, and, you know, the love of Jesus is not a love that is like dismissive or, you know, this kind of like easy, like, oh yeah, yeah, I love this people. No, he, you know, he got crucified by an empire. Like (laughs) that's, that's not easy stuff. You know, that's difficult. That's struggle. That is suffering. That is on a whole community of people that makes life really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when those things happen and when you're able to, to like acknowledge and like the, the hardship and the hard things that you're having to face, and love in the middle of that, then, I mean, man, that, that bond that you create is just going to be incredible. And I found that in my marriage, I found that even like over like zoom meetings with friends, with close friends. Um, and so I'd say, you know, those things are certainly some of the highlights for quarantine for me. Um, while also acknowledging that, yeah, this sucks. This sucks for me. It sucks for a lot of people. Um, it's really hard and, it is exceedingly difficult with each passing day um, to just be kind of isolated because we're not meant to be isolated as humans. And uh, especially for, for me as like a, an extrovert and as a like Enneagram two, like that's, this is like, this is terrible. It's like the second circle of hell. <laughs> so, you know, I want to be out there. I want to be with friends, you know, I want to be having dinners with, with people and, you know, going to restaurants, but, you know, you can't do that, but what can you do? You can yeah. love the people you're with. Yeah. I'm a two married to a three who still thinks she can achieve in this time, which has been fun. So she's like, <laughs> got all the energy in the world. So she's like, let's innovate, let's do things. So uh, it's been fun. But um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, I, I love that you've been able to share all those things. And, and I'm glad that you're trying to find those times of just really connecting with one another and trying to find the beauty of it. Um, because, you know, for a lot of people, um, they have had you know they've just everyone's kind of at this point gone through all the emotions right you know we've kind of felt everything from like this is fun to this is horrible to frustrated to kind of all those things but um 
but you know, I guess one thing that I, I think would be interesting to hear is how how you've been approaching those conversations where you need to be vulnerable with one another um, in this time. You know, what is what does that look like? You know, how how do you how do you all kind of hold that space from each other when you're just like, you know, what I just I'm just having a day. What's that look like for you guys? Yeah, I mean, well, usually it starts off difficult because you know, usually those things start off just yeah. kind of like out of the blue, like you're bringing home groceries and for some reason you're like not communicating well and then that escalates and then you have to realize, oh wait, this is, you know, this is not, you know, something we're like really mad about or care about. This is just because we're like angry and a little sad and, you know, a little bit stressed out and scared um, about the stuff going on around us. And we, you know, when people are scared and stressed, they don't usually, act uh, like the most kindest people like the most kind people uh and so like recognizing and having the awareness to kind of name that has been really great for us uh and has really kind of pushed us each and every day to like a more like more more depth and you know in our love for each other uh you know because it, you know quarantine is difficult um and you know I, I don't need to say that again but i will to emphasize the point uh, and no matter who you're with, you're going to fight. You're going to have, you're going to struggle about stuff. You're going to misunderstand things. You're going to communicate poorly at times. And that happened, you know, I'm sure that's happening with every single married couple that's, you know, in the middle of quarantine right now, let alone like parents who have kids who have to like school them now and work from home or go work an essential job and make you know food for their kids and go grocery shopping and have all these other stressors as well so you know there's just this you know 2020 sucks for everybody you know <laughs> uh so yeah I, I was telling uh, some friends the other day you know the slogan for this year should be 20 2020 sucks so just don't be a jerk, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. So just, just be a good human, you know, just be kind when you can uh, to each other. I mean, I was, you know, I, I was in the hospital the other day from a, like a little knife, you know, cooking accident. And I'm like, I made sure that, you know, every single nurse and doctor I came in contact with or was near, it's like, to thank them, you know, cause they're like, they're literally like putting their lives on the line every single day for people. And the struggle that they're going through as well is, is unique um, and needs to be named. And uh, so they need to be supported as well. I mean, my, my sit, my sister is a nurse and mm -hmm. I've been trying to find ways to just care for her during this, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, as far as, as far as me and Brianna go, uh, as our marriage goes, um, it's been a really beautiful, wonderful time, uh, and a real, real honest, raw time as well. Um, and we, you know, we don't hold anything back from each other. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> it's, it's at times it's really hard. Um, but yeah. usually those hard times lead towards more depth and honesty and love and care and, uh, an all around fuller, more experience of life, um, during this crazy year. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Do you uh, do you guys have any sort of like fears about planning for the future or like kind of thinking about like, gosh, like what is this? You know, how are you kind of having those conversations? Are you more so just thinking like, you know, we're going to move through this and we'll just kind of figure it out? Yeah. And so I think this is kind of a really weird time for us. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, we think about the future a lot. We think about, you know, how life is going to change for us and for really the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And everything is, you know, so in flux right now, everything changes from day to day. Uh, And, you know, who knows in the long term what things will look like um, before and during and or after we possibly get a vaccine. Um, But yeah, it's been hard to prepare. It's been really hard to prepare uh, for life. you know, with jobs, with, with other stuff, it's been hard to, I mean, look forward because, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen next. Um, uh, luckily enough for us, Brianna has a really wonderful, stable job with Cyclical and she's doing really awesome, wonderful things there, uh, as you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so, so uh, we're just really grateful for that. Um, I've got a little side gig at a church right now and uh, in Pasadena and uh, that's been a real blessing on me but it also you know it doesn't uh, you know pay for my student loans and so which you know need to be taken care of eventually and so it, it's really hard you know there is no set plan you can't really have a five-year plan in the time of COVID you know you can you can like plan maybe for a month ahead maybe maybe uh, but like everything is so up in the air like the economy is crashing and you know millions and millions of people are out of work and uh you know the virus is still getting worse in a lot of areas um and so in some areas it's getting a little bit better you have to be flexible and agile enough um to you know just do what we can and plan for what we can uh so that uh we can you know be good humans to each other and in this world and um and you know be able to pay rent and pay for food and stuff like that but also uh, you know find joy in the ways that we can you know none of nobody living right now has experienced a situation like this uh, where every single like nearly every single person on the planet is like locked down in their house and so (laughs) you know it's what do you do to prepare for something you can't prepare for and uh you know i don't know i could get sick tomorrow and and, you know we'd have to deal with that i mean i like that is like the one thing i've been like super we've been super like trying to prepare for like i mean i got like the oxygen meter like off amazon and i got like blood pressure cuff and all those things to like prepare for the possibility of getting sick and whatnot uh but you know you just you never know what's gonna happen um we are like disinfecting every single thing that crosses the threshold of our apartment yeah um and like thoroughly (laughs) and you know a lot more as well so we're doing what we can um and you know a lot of like my thought processes you know we're disinfecting everything we're not touching our face we're wearing masks we're doing all the things we should yeah there's really nothing we can do to stop getting sick now if we get sick so it's, you know, be kind of an act of God in a way, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we're doing what we can, but just like everyone else, we're, you know, we're, we're just going to have to like take life as it goes each day at a time. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think any, you know, we were, before all this happened, we we're thinking like, okay, we've got like a three-year plan to buy a house, you know, and all that, mm-hmm. and all of that is you know, all of those things now are being shifted, you know, all of the conversations we're having about, you know, planning and doing this, they're all being shifted. You know, my wife is from Michigan. I'm from Michigan, you know, even going back to seeing our families, like those plans shifted, um, trying to, you know, holiday plans. 
Yeah, yeah. you know, we, we literally had the conversation the day, like, are, are we going to literally drive to Michigan from California? Like, are we going to Griswold it? Like, honestly, like, <laughs> is that literally going to be the way we do it? But, um, you know, in terms of thinking about, like, well, what's the alternative and not being able to see our family for a while? Like, that's not something that we're, we're interested in, in doing either. So, right. you know, but thinking about just trying to answer these questions, if you were to ask any couple that was, you know, um, engaged, dating, uh, married, just met before this, um, all, all sorts of things. Um, you know, there's so many different situations. I read an interesting article. Um, there's a, a, a psychologist from Australia who started a podcast. Um, she's an author. She wrote a book called, um, uh, it's called Mating in Captivity, um, which is essentially about monogamous mm-hmm. relationships. But uh, this whole idea now is we're all in quarantine um, okay. in this idea of, you know, how people are uh, reacting to this, you know, and how people who were, you know, doing well before this are, are, are now doing exponentially better or people who were doing mm-hmm. well before this are exponentially worse or, you know, people who were, you know, there was this one a couple who they lived in New York and this guy, uh, they were separated and this guy had already had a girlfriend. Right. And so he's mm-hmm. dealing with these issues of wanting to see this other person being quarantined with someone that he doesn't like. And, you know, so hearing that story, you know, it's just so, it's so fascinating right now, the the stories that will be told from these times, you know? And so um, I appreciate you sharing a little bit about, about your guys' story because I think anyone right now, uh, any couple right now is shifting how they think about things. And so I think it's, it's important to get that narrative out there of, hey, it's okay if you're canceling plans. It's okay Seriously. to take things one month at a time. It's okay if you're um, shifting kind of these ideals that you may, uh, that, that you were maybe thinking that you were going to fulfill. You know, maybe you thought you were going to have four kids and now you're like, hey, I just don't know how we're going to have four kids. Maybe we're only going to have the three. I don't know, whatever that looks like. But I just think there's a, there's needs to be a permission mm-hmm. given to people, oh, yeah. couples and young people families of like you can change your plan now because this is the plan for everybody i mean you kind of yeah you you know you might have to yeah like you know might make that decision for you um but yeah i mean that's that's so hard i mean i can't i mean i can't imagine like what people are going through just because that would it would crush me you know um if like if brianna and i were still kind of in the dating phase and i couldn't see her often Um, but you know, I'd say, yeah, I think what you're saying is just spot on, you know, know, know yourself, know what you need, be aware of what you need and be aware of what the other person might need as well. Um, and try to try to meet those needs in what, in the way that you can, you know, you don't have to be Superman. Um, you don't have to be this, this, you know, rock star, you know, girlfriend who's, you know, just providing for every, you don't have to be that. Just be yourself, be honest with what you're feeling, be aware of what you need and what the other person needs. And, you know, it's also, it's okay to, to like not, you know, be the perfect person to meet every need during this time, you know, because to be honest, we can't, we can't meet each other, like each other's full needs right now. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just not a possibility for most, most people uh, who are dating Uh and so I'd say, you know, give out as much love as you can be, you know, present when you're together, be present over Zoom or FaceTime or whatever you're doing. Um, yeah, just and 
just be honest, be, be, be honest and, you know, as vulnerable as you feel safe to be. Um, because in the end, that's like, that's what you're going to take away. Right. Uh, it's been my experience that, you know, the most solid relationships that I've seen, they're, they're vulnerable with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were vulnerable in the, like the dating stage. Um, and that has led to a lot of like really wonderful moments in their marriages, uh, because they're honest, they were a little bit raw, they were vulnerable. Um, and the other person listened enough and, uh, held that space as sacred enough to, to care for the person as best as they could, because we can't like totally care for someone, but we can care in the way that we, you know, know how we can care by listening. We can care by, you know, dropping groceries off at, at, you know, at the other person's porch, if that's necessary. Um, you know, just I, one of the things I used to do when I was dating Brianna is I just used to like leave her flowers randomly or get her flowers random, just, just to, you know, you know, be spontaneous and show that I cared and that I was listening. Um, and, you know, just, just be present, care, listen, but also give yourself enough grace to not be perfect, you know, cause you're not going to be perfect. No one is no marriage, no relationship, no couple, no single is going to be, you know, is going to glide through this thing. Um, so do your best, but also give yourself enough grace uh, to, you know, to be okay. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think the bar has been lowered, especially in romantic relationships in terms of what mm-hmm. effort looks like, you know, yeah. um, how, you know, while we might not always be able to go and buy flowers now, like you can, right. you can tear a page out of your notebook and like draw a flower and say like, I love yeah. it and like give them that and be like, this is show awesome me care. Right now. Show me care. You're paying attention. You know what I mean? You, you know, know it's just so whatever it is, but I think it's yeah. just seeing that person. Right. It's so absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Holy cow, man. We have uh we ran a marathon <laughs> tonight, brother. We ran a marathon. And uh we didn't even get to uh food. We didn't talk about food and we never came back around to talking about uh wine commodization and how the sure. those people have done that. So we're just gonna have to have another conversation. I think that's a great great um, idea. Have a conversation us. about that, you know. I mean there's so much this year. There's so much content. And- there's so much and we could have we could have fragmented off and just danced in in any of these topics mm-hmm. just waltzed our way back Easily. into another one and waltzed our way right back into another one so um i just i appreciate that so much i appreciate you just rolling with me and uh just no your wealth of knowledge uh, <laughs> wealth of knowledge and uh you have a wonderful way of of sharing so thank you so much for for all that you share with us uh, it was great, great being on with you tonight. And, uh, you know, you gave me a chance to talk about things that I love, you know, f- you know, food, wine, whiskey, my wife, like, these are all the things I love most in the world. You know, <laughs> you know it's community, family. That's right. Yeah. Um, all good things. Yeah. So how can we, how can we keep up with you? What are links that you like to share with people who might be interested in hearing more about what you're doing and following? Yeah. Up? I'd say, you know, my Instagram is probably the best way. I actually have two accounts. So if you want to follow, like for wine purposes, you can follow me at the wine pastor on Instagram. That's just at the wine pastor. Uh, And you can see my post about wine and it's, you know, it's integration with theology, some commoditization stuff there as well. Um, Or you can follow me at mhkins. Um, for more, you know, food, theology, kind of all around uh, stuff as well, ministry stuff, um, you know, 
fun, funny, goofy dog video, stuff like that, you know, all of those things. Um, yeah. And so you can do that and, uh, yeah, uh, feel free to, to give me a follow. Yeah, man. Well, we'll put both of those in the show notes and, uh, I encourage people to follow along because, you know, that's how I got to know you and prepare a little bit on this, uh, for this episode was getting to see your posts and, um, you know, it's just so, it's so awesome to get a real true snapshot into someone's life. You know, when you follow someone on social media, you don't really know what you're going to get. Uh, but right. you're one of those people, you actually back it up, man. You're a real genuine, true human being. Um, so I really appreciate it. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your friendship. Yeah, thank you, man. So. Appreciate yours as well. All right, man. Well, cheers to you. Let's have, uh, let's have another whiskey and, uh, and call it a night. Absolutely. That's a great All idea. Right. Cheers. All right, friends, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning into this great episode with my good buddy, Michael Kinsman. Not a Viking, unfortunately. I can't believe I asked him that. What a silly goose I was in that uh, moment. But uh, Michael's so much fun, so I, I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. And uh, make sure to be following him on social media. Um, he posts some of the most delicious food pics I've ever seen. So if you're a foodie, you'll definitely love Michael's page. So uh, really thankful to have him on the show. Not a lot to talk about, uh, just kind of the usual stuff. If you are loving these episodes, we really encourage you to share them, uh, share the social media, uh, get people involved in this conversation let's bring people into the fold um so if you're not subscribed on the patreon i encourage you to do that uh, you get access early to the podcast plus you get some video content you can see all the videos and uh, some behind the scenes stuff so it's really fun i enjoy it so all right here we go let's hand clap it up dancing shaking it out don't care what other people think just dance your stress away All right, friends, thank you for joining me in that dance break. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you for tuning into the show. I raise my glass to you. Cheers.